The following podcast contains spoilers. We strongly recommend you watch the episode of The Americans We're Discussing before you listen to the podcast. New episodes air Wednesdays at 10 p.m. on FX. As KGB illegals who have dedicated their lives to this cause, ideology is built into their lives and their motivations and who they are as human beings, the fabric of who they are in such a deep and profound way that it's hard to understand unless you happen to be someone who's dedicated everything to a political cause. And welcome to the Americans podcast for the sixth and final season. I'm June Thomas, managing producer of Slate Podcasts and your host for the series which goes behind the scenes of the show. Later, I'll chat with the Americans design team and we'll learn how artist Alyssa Monks, whose work stood in for Erica Haskins, felt when she learned that the creators wanted to burn one of her paintings, or at least pretend to. But first, a conversation with showrunners Joe Weisberg and Joel Fields about episode 608, The Summit. Today, I'm in Gory Gowanus with Joe Weisberg. Hi, Joe. Hi, June Thomas. And Joel Fields. Hello, Joel. Hey, June, June, June. This episode begins with a radical act of truth-telling. Philip's confession to Elizabeth is one, I know I always say this, one of the most shocking things. I'm always shocked, shocked, shocked. But this really was very shocking. He was lying to her and he told her so. If you're betraying your spouse, you've committed the act of betrayal, but it is, as prosecutors might say, an ongoing crime. And the question becomes, do you rectify it? How do you rectify it? Now, one way is to stop the betrayal, but another way is to come clean. And so much has happened between these people in their marriage. Philip simply gets to a place, having gone through everything that they went through, particularly in Chicago, and the fact that Elizabeth in Chicago not only has brought him into that experience and everything they've gone through, the horror there, but also that she's told him everything. She's told him everything. Everything that in Mexico she was sworn not to share, she shared with him. In, In that act, she's reasserted their marriage and so now he has a choice to make is he going to reassert it or not and for him it's going to be a painful path but ultimately he decides he's got to take the medicine if he's going to have the cure it also though is shocking to see philip and elizabeth have an ideological disagreement i mean i know in a sense that has been the underpinning of their split as far as spying goes but it's not been explicit as an ideological dispute or division between them and just this talk of elizabeth asking if her husband now thinks that she's a monster because of ideology that i don't know that it's the ideological schism feels the most disturbing of all i think that you're right 
And I think that's been coming a long time. And I think the reason it's so potent is because at the end of the day, as political or as ideologically motivated as many of us may be, these two people are really ideological people. I mean, sometimes people say, well, Elizabeth is an ideologue. I don't think we agree with that particularly, <laughs> but it, it, it it's not really, it sort of scratches the surface. As KGB illegals who have dedicated their lives to this cause, ideology is built into their lives and their motivations and who they are as human beings, the fabric of who they are in such a deep and profound way that that it's it's hard to understand in, in, unless you happen to be someone who has dedicated everything to a political cause. Mm. So when that split and, and their differences in that way come to the surface now, it's so fundamental. And I think that's why it's that's why it's shocking mm. and powerful. But it's but it's been there. Boy, it's been there waiting. Yeah. There's something very American in seeing Claudia and Elizabeth and Paige watching television. I have to say, this show has always recognized that TV watching is something that real people do every night in a way that is you very rarely see on television and that the act is a very, it's a familial thing, it's a family affair. Has that been something that's conscious on your part? Did you want to show people watching television? Uh, I don't think that was a conscious choice. The conscious choice we make is to try to be real and mm -hmm. to show what we think the characters would really be doing. So maybe that's how we stumbled into that. But I don't think we've ever said, oh, let's consciously show <laughs> characters watch television with the exception of when we had everybody watch the day after for an entire episode. I think if we could change anything on the show, one thing I would seriously consider is going back and redoing that episode and actually showing all of the day after <laughs> in the episode so that the audience got to experience 100% of the movie instead of just nine minutes of it. I would be so into that. Oh, my God. I just do television move everybody. to use your whole episode to show a different episode Wouldn't of TV. Wouldn't that be awesome? I'm surprised you haven't done that. <laughs> yeah, That's we should have done yeah, that. Oh, in the dark. God, of all the words that might have been the saddest. Oh, <laughs> something like that. Of all the words of tongue and pen, the saddest are it might have been. Were Russian Orthodox priests used by the KGB in the way? They were, yeah. It was, uh, it was a very big and interesting and odd thing that the KGB did was that they compromised a, a lot of Russian Orthodox priests as a way to control the Russian Orthodox Church. So our uh, portrayal of that, a, a lot of this went on inside the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. So it was not just something that was done with Russian Orthodox priests abroad, although it was also done abroad and also done as a way to control not just the church abroad, but a lot of uh, international uh, there was a lot of KGB use of and control of international peace organizations. That wasn't done just through Russian Orthodox priests. That was done mm -hmm. through, through a lot of other mechanisms as well. But but it was also done, I would almost say its primary use was to control the church inside the Soviet Union. I see. And it was interesting because I, you know, only recently uh, for the first time ran into the notion that one of the primary sources of blackmail uh, was that a was blackmailing Russian Orthodox priests who were gay, which I didn't know previously. Oh I thought that was interesting as well. Elizabeth's dispatching of Erica is so very specific and horrifying. Why did you create that particular killing method? And how? Where did that spring from? We wanted it to be, this is going to sound insane given what it was, 
but it was important to us that it be as humane as possible and that it protect Glenn. What Elizabeth doesn't want to do is kill Erica and have there be any chance that Glenn is accused of ending his wife's life. Remember back in those days, Dr. Kevorkian was a real issue and there were prosecutors who were going after people for, for ending the lives of people who were dying. So she didn't want to get him in trouble. So she happens to be an expert on death. Lucky Erica, good for the Haskerts. And Elizabeth actually, it's a very human moment we see for her, actually. There's a lot of humanity for Elizabeth in this episode. She should kill Jackson. I mean, that's just clear. She's in a private place. He's out of control. The smart thing to do is to end his life. Mm -hmm. She doesn't. That's a change in her character. And really, she shouldn't give a shit about Erica once it's clear that Glenn has tried and failed to kill her and is not going back to work. Glenn is no longer going to be able to help get any information on the summit. There's no operational value to putting anything any recording device in his briefcase, he's not going. She doesn't have to kill Eric at all. She could just leave. She could just it's, finish it's her shift and leave, kindness. or she could, she could pretend it, to get a phone call and leave. But but she but she has come to care about this couple and particular about this particularly about this woman, and she's going to use her expertise at killing. I mean, we really talked about it, even as oddly enough that this is her art, and and really is that's what yeah. she's that's what she's brilliant at is Erico's brilliant at painting. And, and, you know, we imagined her looking around that room because the thing is, it's, it seems very perverse the way she kills her, but it's not really what we see. We see it as, as Joel said, we're always looking for what's real. What are the implements available in that room that would allow her to do it in a way that would not leave a trace? And we even initially had her using the other side of the paintbrush and we thought what would be less painful and leave less of a trace and turned it into the softer side of the paintbrush. Mm -hmm. And again, there's no running away from the fact that it's perverse in a way, mm. but in another way, it's, it felt just right. It was an odd uh, request to the technical consultant. There was a very bizarre set of email exchanges about this one, <laughs> as you might imagine. Alyssa Vines? Uh, no, no, uh, the, no. For her many talents, Alyssa is not <laughs> our not killing a killer. consultant. Although we did have to call Alyssa, who's been such a phenomenal creative collaborator on this season but yes we got to call Alyssa and say look we're um don't worry we're not actually going to hurt it but uh we have this idea to burn your painting but we're not really going to burn it <laughs> i like the idea so much that Alyssa would have been the consultant on killing erica <laughs> that i think we should actually go with that that's ah, pretty good <laughs> but the Alyssa said her. use a paintbrush use the <laughs> bristle side hold it down for three and a half seconds no, she consulted a lot but that that you can help with but i do like going with it Calling and, and suggesting that we burn her one of her masterpieces, man. man. <laughs> God and God bless Alyssa. She didn't blink. She didn't blink. She was like, guys, I think that's awesome. <laughs> I love it. She said, I love it. The scene between Stavos and Philip was really heart wrenching, in part because we learned that Stavos actually did have a sense that they were up to something. But he's loyal. Were you leaving clues through the years that Stavos? had a sense that something was going on no no clues no clues we didn't know it until uh, a couple months before you did <laughs> i god i would have gone with no comment good lord, <laughs> good lord joe 
Come on. There's only like three podcasts to go. Keep some sense of mystery. That's so good, though. It's so good. Elizabeth's smoking becomes a clue when the FBI talks to Gregory Thomas's former associate. And I don't remember Elizabeth being an excessive smoker. Is there a sense that the person she was with Gregory was a smoker, but the cover as a suburban mother of two wasn't? That's right. Yeah, that's right. The suburban mother of two didn't smoke much at all. By the way, I don't think that was her cover with Gregory. I think she was looser and more, in a way, more herself with Gregory. And she smoked because she wanted to with Gregory. Yeah, there's a resonance because we know both from speaking to Jack Barsky like a couple of seasons ago and just from the stories that we know of like all those British spies that so many were alcoholics. I mean, these were addictions. So it's interesting that in some parts of her life, she could kind of turn it off. As deep uh, cover spying goes, smoking is a relatively harmless, harmless I'll say, addiction. I'll say. Do you need permission from the network or some other body to show smoking on television? I mean, it just never happens anymore. No, but I am fairly confident that we're not celebrating it as a yeah. lifestyle choice. <laughs> no, no, by no means. If anybody watches, if anybody watches the Americans and thinks, oh boy, my takeaway is that I should start smoking, well, we've really failed in every possible way. I would agree. Is the summit negotiation storyline based on real events? I mean, obviously this, the summit was real, but do you know about plots around the summit? No. But that's our that's our sort of secret history that we've built up around it. That being said, the opposition to Gorbachev in the KGB was real. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and Claudia's view of Gorbachev as a man who has no sense of our history, that seems very important. I mean... The show has repeatedly flashed on the sufferings of individual Russians over the course of six seasons, mostly as the characters thought back on their own childhoods. But you really get the sense that Claudia believes she's protecting the motherland as well as protecting Elizabeth. Well, there's no question that the, you know, probably here in this country, the sense of the opponents, especially later with the coup and everything, that sense of the opponents of Gorbachev or the people who tried to get rid of him whereas these sort of kind of evil wicked people but in fact a lot of these people were not that they were people who had a different view of what the Soviet Union was and what it had been and what it should be and they were trying to protect something they believed in it's not that there weren't among them or among people who agreed with them some rotten cynical careerists mm. but also among them were decent people, true believers, people who, you know, had had worked hard their whole lives to protect a system they believed in and and had a more coherent belief system uh, about socialism and saw its flaws and things were bad in it, but still wanted to protect it. Tell me about The Garage, the movie that Philip watches. You know, right after listeners to the podcast get done watching The Day After, they should then go out and rent The Garage. Yeah, it's a really it's a really great movie. It's about uh, basically this group of people who work inside of the equivalent of a natural history museum in Moscow. They save their money for many years to build a small garage where they can park their cars. And after they've been sort of saving and planning for this for years, the government announces that they're going to be building a road through the garage, and therefore the garage is going to lose 
three of its parking spaces. So among these kind of 15 people who have, for them to have saved this money to build this garage, it's hard to express what this means to them. It's like to have a place to put their crappy little cars is like the most important thing in the world. And it's taken 10 years, 15 years to get already. It's just about to happen. And now three of them have to get kicked out. So the whole group gets together and they just bureaucratically just throw out the three weakest, most powerless people among them. Mm -hmm. And then as that happens, but it's all done kind of weirdly bureaucratic democratically. Mm -hmm. And then the whole movie is just one long scene of them struggling with that decision and someone finally standing up for the three weaklings and and how it all plays out. And it's kind of this unbelievable, like, especially if you have a, you know, as many of us in America did this sign of kind of very one dimensional view of the Soviet Union and how it worked. It's an incredibly great movie for seeing the complexity of how things worked on a, on a kind of lower level mm-hmm. bureaucratic system. It's a, and it's a comedy. It's mm-hmm. really funny, but, but it's, but it's serious too. And, and we like the idea of Philip seeing it because Philip here never would have been exposed to how things really worked there. So the idea is that it would have been very eye-opening for him at, at this time in the season when having his eyes opened about certain things back there would have been important. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Back in episode two of the podcast, we heard from artist Alyssa Monks, who created Erica Haskett's paintings. Now that the storyline has reached its conclusion, there's one final beat to discuss. And in case you've forgotten that episode two conversation, you should know that the work of art that Elizabeth burned on the show is actually a painting of Alyssa's mother that she worked on for five years. So Glenn has a present for Elizabeth, for Stephanie, gives her a piece of art. He, gets, he lets her choose, right? She kind of chooses with her eyes. This is Elizabeth. She's always having to figure out her operational disguises exactly, and what yeah. to bring from that. She knows what she should do. It takes her a while to actually do it. As somebody who, even though... Presume the actual piece of art didn't get burned. No, the art, the <laughs> painting is just fine. Good to have that established. I'm um, committed, but not that committed. <laughs> it affected her. She wanted to hold on to it. But as an artist, seeing something go up and smoke. Well, like that, okay. So what happened was Joe and Joel called me and they said they had this great idea for how to end this character um, and her work. And they told me about this idea of burning the painting and they wanted to run it by me just for that reason, like, is this too much? You know, how do you feel about this? My response was that, gosh, I can't think of any, anything more appropriate, really showing what that piece is about. The whole thing I learned from that experience is impermanence. And this was such a, a cathartic way to do it, like to show the destruction of the piece that took five years to make. It's like a way of letting it go. And, and I just intuitively was just like, this is so powerful. We must figure out how to make this this happen and how are we going to do it? And we started talking about logistics and then logistically that it's not that easy. Yeah. So we had to make a few dummy paintings 
and make sure they could burn, yeah. you know, because I, I don't think that the oil paint would actually burn. <laughs> so I don't know. I've never tried it, honestly. So there was a lot of trying to figure out how to make this happen. And what we settled on was they had printed a high-res photo of the original painting on another canvas. And then what I did was I painted over pieces of it that would be used in close-up shots. Now, I just thought like, you know, we'll just do the corners and whatever. And at the last minute, Chris Long was like, um, and do the eyes too. And I was like, well, of, of course, no problem. Sure, I'll do that. But when I was doing it, it was really very emotional for me. And I did not expect it. Another time, it just snuck up on me and kind of brought me back to that moment. And, you know, knowing that this is going to actually burn and, and still just thinking it's just in my mind, not thinking about everybody else watching it. And I had the two paintings now next to each other here in the studio for a few days. And I just would stare at those eyes and just, it was very emotional. It really, it really was. And that's been a, a part of it that I didn't expect to like revisit this, yeah. this grieving. And then I started to really worry <laughs> because what would it feel like for my family to oh. see this? I was up all night when I just worried so much. And to be honest, I have, I think I may have to prepare a few of them for that. This is art making and it's almost like you take something and you push it really far to show almost symbolically what it feels like i'm in it yeah, <laughs> i'm yeah, really right. i'm really feeling this and it's it's funny cause as an outsider i to i mean i feel what you're saying i can feel that but it's so perfect not only for the you know as you said the end of this character essentially it's the end of stephanie is to is to burn this and it's it, elizabeth processing but in a sense it's also almost like a a cremation is maybe too much, but you know, it's almost like the, oh, yeah, the soul of, of the painting being released. Yeah. There's so much profundity in it. It really, it really is. I, I, I can't wait to be on the set when they do it. <sighs> I feel like it will be a cathartic experience that, yeah. I mean, maybe other people can't understand why I would want to, to burn something of my own, but yeah, it's, it's powerful. Finally this week, let's hear from some key members of the Americans design team about the challenges season six presented. They begin by introducing themselves and be warned, even though they have only worked together for two seasons, they often complete each other's sentences. My name is Dan Davis. I'm the production designer. I'm Mila Kalovich, the set decorator. Tim Goodmanson, the art director. Tell me about the sets that you built or changed this season. We seem to be spending more time in the travel agency, for example. Yeah, we built a new travel agency. Sort of the idea was that Philip had expanded the agency into the space next door. So we wanted to keep a little bit of it recognizable. So we didn't change their office that much. We um, changed the outer office and we built this kind of brick wall that they bashed through with these sort of arches and total redress in terms of decoration. So Mila, how did you move us from 1984 to 1987 and a kind of a, a fancy well, Dan wanted a more sleeker, more modern office for an 80s office. So we glitzed it up with glass top desks and more modern chairs. We got new computers, new phones, new lighting. We changed out all the posters and made them more 1987 and 1984. And that's about it. Is it hard yeah. to get those 1987 computers? Are they really 1987 computers? They are, and it is hard. 
there there's a, a few vendors. We got ours from the Rhode Island Computer Museum. They're oh wow, that's I didn't know that. Super helpful and we actually updated the FBI computers and the travel agency computers through them. Well, I learned this year that the FBI used terminals with like a server for most of the 80s and only towards the late 80s did they actually turn to personal computers and PCs. They were notoriously slow and behind the times, I think, believe. And there's also a new safe house this year where Claudia hosts the movie club. How do you go about making a believable safe house? I mean, to me, to make a believable set, it's always about getting the proportion of the rooms right. I mean, that's sort of where I start from. If, that's why I don't like making sets too big. A lot of people want to make everything huge. It makes it easier to shoot. But then they always shoot them huge, and it looks phony. Sometimes I get accused of making sets too small. But um, to me, it's if I get the proportion of the space right, that's always a good starting point. And was that particular building based on a real building? No, it was, we found a picture of some buildings in D.C. that were sort of 60s apartment buildings, and it was basically supposed to be totally ordinary and not draw attention to itself, and um, so that's sort of what we were trying to do there. And when you talk about decorating a safe house, it almost seems like a hotel room, you know, things that are not really used but they're supposed to convey an idea of a comfortable space what kind of things do you put in that kind of set well it's much easier because it's a lot less stuff so actually the things that are on the wall become more challenging because you really need to fill the space with believable things like thermostats and radiators and you start coming up with creative ways to fill the walls because you're not filling it with you know a bookcase and a dresser and a million other you know, smalls. Well, you did have an empty bookcase. We did. Yeah. <laughs> we did. So it was very consciously an empty bookcase. Yeah. Yes. Did you build anything else this year? Were there any other new sets? Hotel room you mentioned? Yeah, we and, did a um, fair amount of hotel Russian rooms. office. We did a Igor's office, which was just not a very big set. One that was sort of interesting was we had made an apartment uh, for Gennady. The set we um, used for Gennady's had been... Uh, several other sets. Right. We sort of re- reinvented it. Well, can we you remember d- what it had been before? It was, and Sophia's room it was Sophia's apartment. apartment. Sophia's apartment. It was a hotel room. And it, was, and it became a hotel room after <laughs> right. Gennady. And we kind of moved the windows around, the doors around, and repainted them a different color. And oh. But we kind of have to because, you know, budget wise, it's the most expedient thing to do. And stage, we don't have that much room on stage. Right. So you kind of move the door, the entry door from one side to the other and the window from one side to the other and then repaint it and it and it uh, you know, feels completely different. So you mentioned hotel rooms. Again, it's, it's a kind of a bland challenge. Is a bland challenge harder than like making something, you know... Fabulous? Yes, fabulous. Uh, I think it is harder in a way, right? You know, to do stuff that's sort of restrained and... Um, ordinary that's sort of the challenge of this whole job really keeping it very realistic you know you don't want people to notice the sets right and the people who are supposed to live in those places yeah. don't want to draw attention either yeah what, what kind of things do you put in a hotel room? beds and a tv <laughs> a coffee maker and a water pitcher and an ice bucket are there old hotel warehouses i mean is is it hard to find things like 1987 coffee makers I have a stockpile now. <laughs> we have about seven. 
last year's challenge was the Moscow apartment after Moscow apartment after Moscow apartment. And this year's challenge was hotel after safe house after hotel after safe house after hotel. So every year has its challenges. The biggest challenge in doing hotels and safe houses is that I decorate them. And then I have to go back in the next day and take stuff out of them because I have to thin it out even more to get to that place where I feel like it's the right amount of nothing. Hmm. So as we're talking today, I think there are only two or three or four episodes left to film. And I guess that means that some sets are finished with now. What happens when sets are done, spaces are done? What what happens to them? Fire uh, sale? Fire yeah. sale, I mean, garbage. A, a lot of the scenery, dumpsters. Is, most of it's going in the garbage. The FX archives department has spoken with Mila, a bunch of set dressing. They're saving a couple of walls from a set um, for the archives and things. You know, you always want stuff to be able to go on to another project, especially set dressing. So everybody works so hard to find this period stuff. And and I know Mila and her team try very hard not to see it all just end up in a dumpster, that it Mm -hmm. can go on to other FX shows or other shows. We started sort of sadly thinning out as soon as sets would finish and we've slowly been emptying out of stages as we've gone along were there any kind of big logistical challenges like the whole this year the only big logistic challenge was making sure that the boards in the fbi vault were correct for <laughs> that everyone which is all the evidence from these different investigations because oh. uh we had to make sure everything was you know right and good on those boards you know so season six everything of all these years kind of unfolds and as stuff starts to get pieced together you know the 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 evidence boards in the fbi vault were very important to joe and joel and to chris long and everybody and so uh, everyone worked very hard to get all of the right content to tell the right story to match the story that's been told over the years and i think everybody was quite happy with it six or seven is a show with like a huge amount of action but i guess it's not action that causes problems for you guys well there's a little bit of logistical work there i think i mean a lot of it mostly like for all that stuff was dan with the director and the location person having to scout that and as a designer for dan to find the locations that felt right and that would facilitate the action but once they found all those streets they were actually quite perfect and there wasn't i mean the challenge there is for the locations holding the parking (laughs) well it is really you have to have you know block after block block after block you put your period cars on right so you can have so that was that's one of the big challenges so you're looking for spots that look like they could yeah, Pass for DC in 1987. Yeah, or, or, and work for the scene and stuff. Or and like Dan always said, like, there's so many other factors that come in. Like It might be the perfect spot visually and design-wise for Dan, but you can't park trucks there, or it's in a hot zone, you can't film there, or you can't get air conditioning in there. And, and so all these other things come into play about what location ultimately gets chosen. What's a hot zone? Parts of the city that have blocks on filming because there's been too much too filming much filming there. the residents oh. hate us oh <laughs> not because it's too familiar but because they're like no no more. No, no. no yeah Did they're the fed up they're fed up don't with want us. any their parking taken away and yeah. trucks on their streets yeah. thanks to joe weisberg joel fields Alyssa monks dan davis mila kalovich and tim goodmanson thanks also to daniel schrader for recording assistance and to the american sarah nolan for organizational help Please join us next week when we'll be discussing episode 609, Jennings, Elizabeth, with some very special guests, including Brandon J. Dearden, who plays Agent Dennis Adderholt. 
I'm June Thomas. Thank you for listening. <laughs>